This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Welcome to Inside COVID-19. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. South African employers impose mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policies as a prerequisite to return to work or as a precondition for employment. What happens if an employee refuses to wear a mask? We've got the answers to these questions and more on how COVID-19 has changed employment law in South Africa with specialist Imran Mohammed of law firm Cliff Decker Hofmeyer. And with the max vaccination the big focus for governments around the world as the spread of COVID-19 remains out of control, we hear from our partners at Bloomberg why some healthcare workers in the United States are refusing to be vaccinated. First, the week's COVID-19 news highlights. Inside COVID-19 from Biz News. The biggest vaccination campaign in history has begun. More than 32.4 million doses in 45 countries have been administered. That's according to data collected by Bloomberg. Delivering billions more will be one of the greatest logistical challenges ever undertaken, it says. Vaccinations in the U.S. began on December the 14th with healthcare workers, and so far 10.8 million doses have been given there. The COVID-19 pandemic is at its most devastating in South Africa, with more than 190,000 coronavirus infections and about 5,000 deaths since the start of the year. Nearly 36,000 people have died in South Africa of the disease, according to official statistics. At least 15,000 people were seriously ill in hospital this week, with roughly one-third of these people on oxygen, according to President Cyril Ramaphosa. In an update at the start of the week on national rules to curb the spread of COVID-19, President Ramaphosa said funerals have been super-spreaders, with many funeral attendees among the dead. Nevertheless, he stopped short at cancelling funerals when he announced adjustments to COVID-19 containment measures. Curfew has been tweaked, political and sports gatherings aren't allowed, and the government has promised an aggressive vaccination rollout program. President Ramaphosa has said the government is in the process of procuring vaccines through three channels. Sibanye Stillwater, one of South Africa's largest precious metals producers, has offered to help the government's vaccination campaign program by inoculating hundreds of thousands of mine workers and people living in communities near its operations. The company that employs about 84,000 workers has enough capacity at its 45 health and medical facilities to vaccinate nearly 18,000 people a day. That's according to its chief executive officer, Neil Froneman, who told Bloomberg in an interview that the government should use Sabanya as well as facilities at other mining companies for its campaign because the industry has expertise in screening for and treating TB and HIV. Froneman says the company sees vaccination as a major issue in re-establishing economic stability. Meanwhile, the government has been criticised by South African scientists for the slow pace of its vaccine procurement. Details about discussions with vaccine manufacturers were only released this month and a charity had to pay the deposit for South Africa to join the COVAX programme. The Minerals Council of South Africa, the industry lobby group for large producers, has urged the government to speed up these negotiations. People who get vaccinated against COVID-19 in Poland will receive a confirmation document or a vaccine passport after having received a second dose of the vaccine. 
That's according to Polish Deputy Health Minister Anna Golowska. Poland is the latest country to welcome the idea of a vaccine passport, as many EU member states consider solutions to restart cross-border travel. That's according to Euractive Media Network. Pfizer and federal health officials in the U.S. are investigating the death of a healthcare worker 16 days after the person received the first dose of the company's COVID-19 vaccine. Pfizer said in a statement that so far the evidence does not suggest a connection. The Scottish government has been forced to retract its COVID-19 vaccine delivery plan following a major backlash from UK ministers and manufacturers. Ministers in Westminster reacted furiously on Wednesday evening to the decision by the Scottish government to publish its plan for deliveries, which has effectively revealed how many doses the UK is expecting. There is concern disclosure will lead to vaccine manufacturers such as Pfizer and AstraZeneca facing backlash from countries that have not secured as good a deal as the UK. A UK government source has said the reason we didn't want to publish these figures was because everyone in the world wants these vaccines. And if other countries see how much we are getting, they are likely to put pressure on the drug firms to give them some of our allocation. Italy has extended emergency powers through to April the 30th amid the pandemic. The measures adopted by the government also include a ban on movement between regions for at least another month and the establishment of a national platform to coordinate vaccine distribution. Thailand is pitching six golf courses as state quarantine centers to foreign tourists. This is as it looks to gradually reopen its tourism industry. Patrons will be able to enjoy golf and roam freely within the premises rather than confining themselves in their rooms during a two-week mandatory quarantine. This marks the Southeast Asian's latest effort to lure foreign tourists as the pandemic devastates its vibrant tourism industry. Previous offers of special long-stay visas had evoked a lukewarm response, says Bloomberg. A team of World Health Organization experts arrived in the central city of Wuhan to investigate the origins of COVID-19. The team is expected to be quarantined for at least 14 days. The delay of the World Health Organization's visit came as China's slow response and revised narrative of the pandemic's origins have made it harder for the world to investigate how it began. The first virus emerged in Wuhan in late 2019. A survey released this week by the Chinese University of Hong Kong showed an alarming acceptance rate of just 37% for coronavirus vaccines in the city. This is as the government prepares to start a free vaccination program. China recorded its first COVID-19 death since April. This is as clusters in its north continue to swell. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. is weighing new measures that could allow expanded travel after unveiling testing requirements for people flying into the U.S., Lifting travel restrictions on countries such as Brazil and EU countries is part of ongoing discussions. Johnson & Johnson's experimental one-shot COVID-19 vaccine generated a long-lasting immune response in an early safety study. This is according to Bloomberg, which says the study provides a glimpse at how it will perform in the real world. The company is inching closer to approaching US regulators for clearance. China ended the year of COVID-19 in many ways stronger than it started. That's according to The Wall Street Journal which reports that China has accelerated its movement toward the center of a global economy long dominated by the U.S. It says that China expanded its role in global trade and shored up its position as the world's factory floor, despite years of U.S. efforts to persuade companies to invest elsewhere. For 2020, China's economy is expected to account for just under 17% of global gross domestic product, according to Moody's Analytics. That's up from just over 14% in 2016. For more on that, visit BizNews Premium, where you have full access to the Wall Street Journal. Coming up, Imran Mohammed, Director of Employment Law at Cliff Decker Hofmeier Inc. in Johannesburg, 
provides a detailed update of how measures to contain the spread of COVID-19 have changed the rules for employers and employees. Inside COVID-19 from BizNews. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. With me is Employment Law Director Imran Mohammed to discuss what the new rules are for employers as we head into a second year of coping with COVID-19. Uh, Imran, let's start with what an employer is obliged to do. What are the rules now? What has become a lot more specific and onerous in relation to employers is a few tweaks uh, in relation to obligations within the workplace. So two issues that stand out immediately is an obligation upon an employer to ensure that any employee that's in the workplace must now wear a mask at all times in the workplace. So that's become a positive obligation that, that wasn't applied prior to the 29th of December. So an employee that's in the workplace must at all times now wear a, um, and must wear a mask. The second is the requirement for the appointment of a compliance officer. Uh, the, that obligation existed previously. What is now provided is offences associated with the failure to comply with the regulations. And one classic example is the failure of an individual to wear a mask in a, in a public space, include the workplace. So the failure to wear a mask now constitutes a criminal offence. If an employee does not do so and refuses to wear a mask in the workplace, minus it being a disciplinary offence, an employee can be uh, can be arrested for for, for non compliance in that regard. So, so, so the obligations here become a lot more strict. The process would be f- firstly uh, to to really back is all employees that return to work in in this new year, i.e., twenty twenty one are to be informed upfront before getting into the workplace that this is the obligation, legal obligation, wearing of a, of, of a face mask at all times at the workplace. If an employee fails to do so, well, then it's within the prerogative of the employer to, uh, to uh, require the employee to do so. And when an employee fails to do so, to, to suspend the employee, so that would be an, uh, an employer prerogative to suspend the employee uh, pending disciplinary action in that regard. And, and an employee in that instance can be asked to, to leave the premises, mm-hmm. to leave the workplace as well. And only in an extreme example, and I would think it would be extreme, where an employee refuses in that instance, uh, would, would an employer be within their rights to, to, to seek assistance from, from, from the police? There may be workplace gatherings, but workplace gatherings may not exceed uh, more than 50 people and must also provide for social distancing for individuals within those gatherings. And there, there's got to be proper hand sanitizing facilities available and obviously the wearing of a, of a face mask. So where, where there are gatherings within the workplace, it becomes the obligation of the employer to ensure that those strict requirements are met. And if they're not met, then the employer is in breach of the regulations. And if an employee fails to give effect to those stipulations, well, then the employee exposes himself or herself to disciplinary action for failure to comply with the regulations. Just turning the tables a bit, there are many people who don't believe in wearing masks and many employers who maybe aren't adhering to the rules themselves. What happens in a case like that? How do the employees deal with such a situation? That's, that's a good question, Jackie. 
I, I would say we at the time in the journey of this pandemic where it's vaccine versus virus. Those individuals that are in the debate of virus versus the mask are caught in a time warp in, re- in relation to, to, to the journey of, of the vaccine. These people that are still having the debate as to the mask are actually being caught up in the early stages of the fight against the pandemic. So there's very little debate about wearing a mask because the, the requirement for wearing a mask has now become a legal requirement. So there's no, there's no longer uh, an option for any individual that, that leaves their private premises and goes out into public. There's no, there's no question on, on that aspect anymore. The legal requirement is you've got to wear a mask in, in, a, in a public setting, and a failure to do so constitutes a criminal offence. So the employee can report the employer to the police? Absolutely, absolutely. Has this been happening, do you know? I've not come across an instance where, where an employer has simply disregarded the COVID safety pro- protocols. An employer that does not comply with the obligations would be would be acting in contravention of the regulations and would be acting illegally. In such an instance, an employer, m- minus the criminal offence, would likely also face the wrath of the Department of Labour and the Department of Health, who would be empowered to shut down the workplace until there's compliance with, with the legislation. Non-compliance can give rise to criminal sanction, as well as a shutting down of the workplace uh, is, is certainly something that, that can occur. Are there any fines for employers who don't adhere to the guidelines? There are fines. The greatest sanction would be shutting down of premises. A sanction for, for not wearing a mask, for instance, uh, it being a criminal offence, an admission of guilt fine stands in the region of a 1,000 rand. And, and, and I accept that a 1,000 rand is, is relative. But, but in relation to an employer... Uh, where there's non-compliance, call it by five employees who are not wearing masks. Five times 5,000 rand is, in the greater scheme of things, and not a lot of money. A greater sanction would be a shutting down of the premises for non-compliance. Let's look at privacy laws and what you're obliged to tell your employer. With a lot of people returning from their holidays and some people having gone to hotspots, are employees obliged to tell their employers where they've been on holiday? In my view, there would be an obligation upon an employer to require disclosure as to whether or not an employee has travelled to a particular hotspot. The regulations now crystallise the areas in South Africa uh, which constitute the hotspots. So an employer would be well advised to have its employees disclose whether or not they've travelled to a hotspot. If they have, and in that instance, um, to, to quarantine especially if, if the employee is, is to be rendering services at, at a physical workplace location to mitigate the potential transmission of the virus. We, we, we know that even individuals who don't show any symptoms could well be asymptomatic and have the ability to transmit the virus to to somebody else within the workplace. And there'd be very little for an employee to shield against in relation to privacy in, in these particular circumstances to say, well, where... I've travelled is not a matter for disclosure to my employer. An employee who adopts such form of uh, approach, in my view, would, would, would be exposing themselves to either an employer that says, well, in such instance, you, you, you're not permitted entry into the premises and, there may be, and there's good justification for that, or alternatively to disciplinary action for failure to provide what is a reasonable disclosure of information. Is an employer obliged to pay employees who are self-quarantining? 
The the answer is no. Uh, there isn't an obligation to to provide um, to to provide any form of remuneration unless the employee is rendering services. So so the, perhaps the best way to answer that question is to unpack it in relation to employees who sit in a in a fortunate uh, environment where they're able to render services remotely to the employer and over the period of that quarantine be able to provide productive services to the employer for which they they must be remunerated. That's the easy situation. Uh, a classic example would probably be f- f- factory employees on a product line. Those employees cannot work from a remote um, environment and have to render physical services. Such an employee can't render services over the period of the quarantine and therefore would not be would not be entitled to to remuneration. So the principle in our law of no work, no pay would apply during that period of, of quarantine. Inform employees before they leave that if you travel in traveling to particular areas that have already been identified as hotspots but not legislated as hotspots, you would be required to disclose that information to your employer upon your return and you would be required to quarantine. An employee is then well advanced, well in advance informed of what the position of the employer is before going away on annual leave. That's quite tricky. It would suggest that some people might be reluctant to give the full facts to their employers. The sharp end of that is that a failure to disclose that information exposes the employee again to potential action should it later be discovered that the employee withheld vital information to the employer that ought to have been disclosed. Do you see a lot of court cases emanating from the COVID-19 restrictions between employers and employees? In relation to to COVID-related litigation, there's been a fair amount of litigation arising from business restructuring. So retrenchments is a consequence of COVID. There's been massive amounts of forms of litigation that, that's already flowing through the system uh, and making its way either to the CCMA or into the Labour Court. So that's that's one strand of large volumes of litigation. In early 2020, there had been some interesting legal issues that, that had arisen with regards to an employer's ability to not pay during the period of the lockdown and, and the like. There had been a number of those disputes that, that had come before the courts. Disputes in relation to issues specific with regards to payment, those sort of disputes are mostly being dealt with internally. Before we close off here, let's take a quick look at vaccination. I know that it's still quite a long way off for many people in South Africa with the rollout only starting in a small way in the first quarter of the year. What will be the rules for employers? Can they institute a mandatory vaccination policy? If we look at the scenario that's playing out, call it internationally, what what hasn't happened is a mandatory vaccination policy of mandatory vaccination laws. In other words, there hasn't been a law uh, which has provided in any particular country that I'm aware of where the entire population must be vaccinated. So you, using that as a blueprint for South Africa, that South Africa would not have a mandatory vaccination policy that applied to the entire population. What would then happen is it would become the prerogative of every employer to determine whether there should be a vaccination or mandatory vaccination policy that applies to its business. 
on its own, the question of vaccination and a mandatory vaccination policy is a complicated issue because it gives rise to a number of legal issues in, in the South African context. But the gist of the issue of a, of a vaccine probably runs through the principle that an employer is obliged to ensure that its workplace is is safe and that it has a, uh, a safe and healthy work environment in which employees can render services. That then runs against constitutional principles which provide that individuals have the right to physical, physiological rights to bodily integrity. Persons have the right of choice under our constitution. People have the right to religious beliefs and where vaccines sit within religious beliefs is, is a discussion on its own. All of that then bumps into each other in order to determine where an employer sits in relation to a mandatory va- vaccination. There are a number of factors that employers would need to take into account. For instance, for what period in time can it afford to allow its business to be remote is a factor to be taken into account. Another would be how often do employees come into contact with members of the public, uh, infection rates within a particular workplace, because employers are obliged to, to maintain a record of infections within the workplace. If a particular workplace has seen massive numbers of infections, that could be a strong factor for an employer to impose a mandatory vaccina- uh, vaccination policy with, within its workplace. Alternatively, the number of employees that have been exposed to, to the virus, but not necessarily within the workplace. Ultimately, whilst the issue of, of a vaccination policy, I, I guess, would be a legal determination, the issue of consultation, in, in my view, is where the correct mix is to be met. Because to impose a vaccination in the absence of taking into account the views of labor and of, of trade union, the workplace, and other employees that are not even unionized would be a fatal mistake, in my view, for an employer not to want to assess that. Because to have a gauge as to what the views are within the workplace will go a long way to get employees to accept a vaccination. What has been very interesting to, to see over the last couple of weeks as well is the push by Kusatu in relation to government with regards to the rollout of vaccine in South Africa. Kusatu is one of the three largest federations. Kusatu is pushing for a vaccination rollout by government, not saying specifically in relation to workplaces, it's talking about a rollout nationally, gives an indication that perhaps there's a drive also on the part of the unions to accept that there's got to be a vaccination policy within particular workplaces. Next, insights from our partners at Bloomberg on why some healthcare workers are refusing to be vaccinated in the United States. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. Most states have prioritized healthcare workers in their vaccination programs. But across the country, vaccine providers are finding that some of those workers don't want the shot. Nurses and firefighters are among those questioning its safety after approval in record time. I spoke with reporter Elise Young, who reports that reluctance to get the shot that could end the pandemic goes well beyond anti-vax activists who spout unproven theories on social media. The reluctance of some healthcare workers to receive a COVID-19 vaccine 
may be surprising to many listeners. What have been some of the reasons that they've given as to why they're unwilling to take it? Some medical professionals are saying that they support vaccines. They support measles vaccines and uh, the annual flu shot. But they say that they're leery of the um, science behind this one because the COVID-19 vaccinations were developed in such a short amount of time. It can take about a decade or more for a typical vaccine to go from research to market. They're also afraid that it hasn't been uh, tested long term. They're worried about if they have pre-existing conditions or if they have um, an immune disorder that causes their immune system to just blow up. Now, I'd like to dig into some of these things that you've just mentioned in terms of development of these vaccines and even perhaps some of the technology that these vaccines utilize, because it seems that some have cited the technology behind the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, the mRNA technology as some of the causes of their suspicions. I mean, what what's the rationale there? Well, in a typical vaccine, what you're using is a a dead piece of the virus or a very small uh, amount of active virus. With the mRNA, it actually uh, goes into the body and causes uh, a change, a brief change. And folks who object to that say this technology is just too untested. And once you put this thing in your body, there's no knowing what it can do. And they believe this, you know, with reason or without reason. It's what they believe. You know, these vaccines were developed at a remarkably fast pace, um, the fastest ever, really. But, you know, given that Pfizer and Moderna and, and certainly other companies working on vaccines have attempted to provide some sort of guarantees or safeguards that might help ensure that consumers feel that these vaccines are safe. And so I was wondering if you might unpack what types of either testing was conducted before the vaccines were approved or some of the other methods that these companies took to try and alleviate these fears. There's a lot of misinformation out there about the vaccines. Uh, One person we interviewed said, Well, it was never tested on mice, and vaccines are tested on mice for a reason. In fact, the pharmaceuticals tested the the components not only on mice, but also monkeys and more than 75,000 human beings. And when we're talking about the medical professionals, as you say, who are unwilling or have expressed a reluctance to take this vaccine. I mean, what specifically group of folks are we talking about here? Are we talking about nurses, physicians, or are we talking about kind of a broader definition of medical professionals? I have a sprinkling of physicians who uh, myself and my colleagues spoke to, um, and they say one said, There's no need for the vaccine at all, that there are over-the-counter drugs that they've been happy with to uh, treat the virus when it does pop up. One operator of uh, a nursing home, Pruitt Health, which is one of the nation's largest uh, family-operated nursing home chains, told me that uh, it's it's a lot of medical uh, assistance, the certified 
uh, nursing assistants who are saying no. Uh, these folks tend to not be college educated. They're working for low pay, long hours. Some have said they are uh, African-American and they are skeptical of what this drug contains. Um, they point to the Tuskegee uh, syphilis experiment um, as a reason for their mistrust. Now, is there any kind of data available in terms of, say, the percentage or proportion of medical professionals or healthcare workers who aren't willing to be vaccinated? I haven't found any reliable data that show how many medical professionals want nothing to do with this. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. Um, we're so busy surf- surveying the general population, number one, and 60 to 70 percent of the general population says that they want it. Among the professionals who are saying no, uh, also they don't want their names necessarily linked to this in print or anywhere else for fear of um, being made an example of or maybe for fear of losing their jobs. Now, in the vaccine rollout, um, certainly there have been these attempts, as we've already discussed, to, you know, showcase the, the solid science behind the vaccines, the safety behind the vaccines. But in terms of perhaps encouraging these healthcare professionals or medical professionals to receive the vaccine, are there any types of incentives that organizations or even, say, the CDC has done to try and encourage this particular group to receive the vaccine? Remember, the federal government left vaccinations to the states to sort out. And now states are kind of wringing their hands, pulling out their hair with this effort, although most of them say that they're starting to get it under control. The uh, federal government has suggested for employees, say, of a nursing home who are saying, no, thank you, to hold a pizza party or offer some kind of raffle incentive uh, to get folks uh, more interested in this, which is to me is kind of an interesting approach when you're talking about something serious, something so serious to say, hey, maybe a pizza party will help. On that note, on more of the, uh, say, risk issue, can a medical professional be fired for refusing to be vaccinated? Yes, a medical professional can be fired, but there's a couple components to this. Workers can cite a disability or a religious belief, and that brings us into the reasonable accommodation territory. So in this case, you would have to say, I object to this because I have a disability and it's going to be made worse. So then your employer needs to turn around and said, okay, well, can you work from home or can you mask constantly and take other steps? And this is where it can get hairy in court. In 2018, the U.S. Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals took up the case of an employee. She was a medical employee who said no to a rubella vaccine that was required by her employer. Uh, She was dismissed. She said that she had uh, allergies and sensitivities and was afraid of a reaction. So the court took a look at this and determined that what she had was, quote, garden variety allergies. And basically they told her, get lost. So that was upheld. Her firing was upheld. 
I mean, do you think that going forward, you know, as vaccine rollout continues and ramps up, is there more that can be done to shore up confidence either amongst these healthcare professionals or even amongst the general population that these vaccines are indeed safe? I don't know about medical professionals, although some have said they're just taking a wait and see attitude that they're not necessarily constitutionally against the COVID-19 vaccine. They say that they don't want to be the guinea pigs. So they'll wait a couple of weeks or a couple of months, um, see if there's any widespread reported problems. So far as your basic folks who don't want anything to do with it, it was suggested to me by an immunization professional yesterday that it can't be overstated how important that your local pastors or even your local sports heroes, um, maybe not like your NFL guy or your NBA guy or your women's soccer uh, professional, but people in the community whom people look up to, for them to get out and say, look, I took it and I'm okay and you should too. to close your Inside COVID-19 podcast. Until next time. This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery.